Hello, I'm Heat. And I'm Rocket Kid. And this is Ordinary Chaos. A podcast about ordinary life. Because you don't have to be famous to be interesting. What's normal for me might be unusual for me. Let's do this! here today with another artist. We have Mike Chicatello today, and he is a children's book author and illustrator. Tell me about your books, Mike. Hi. Thank you so much for having me here. You're welcome. Uh, this is very, it's very exciting to be here. <laughs> <laughs> I have three books out in the world at this time. I have another one coming out in March. So two are my own author illustrated books. One is called Twins, and that's by FSG McMillan, published by FSG McMillan. And then the other is Beach Toys versus School Supplies. That's also with FSG McMillan. Uh, I'm the author and illustrator on both of those. And then I have another book that I illustrated along with the author Bridget Heos, and that's with Crown Penguin Random House. Same group of people that worked on that book, Tremendous. Actually, the full title of that is Tremendous Diary of a Not Yet Mighty Oak. So it tells the whole story from the acorn's perspective of growing into a mighty oak tree. So the books that we're working on as a, as a team, we have a series coming out called The Science Buddies, and it's all nonfiction books, subjects for kids. It's all picture book nonfiction. Uh, and the first book is called I'm a Virus, and that comes out in March. And it talks about the rhinovirus and it tells the story from the perspective of the virus. That's so cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it was interesting creating the illustrations for that because we had to be inside the body and then outside the body and then inside the body and a lot of <laughs> stuff is happening and then outside the body. So I, I kind of like pulled my fantastic voyage inspiration and inner space and all those movies <laughs> like going in and out of the body just to like, you know, think about, well, what is the scale of this and talking about a virus, it's microscopic. It's so small. And to think about the different organs that we're talking about that it's exploring around, we had to cheat a little bit with the scale, but it was it was really fun to work on. Neat. Yeah. So, and then further than those projects, I, I have, I guess, further down the road coming up soon where I'm going to be working on them. Well, we have two books under contract for Cheese and Quackers. And this will be a, I think it's a chapter book series but leans more on the graphics. So it'll be heavily illustrated chapter book series. And that will be with Sudipta Barthenqualen. She is the author. Uh, and that publisher will be Aladdin at Simon & Schuster. So right now, two books under contract for that. And then there's other books in the works, hopefully. Well, you know, you just, you, you just hope <laughs> <laughs> that uh, something else will keep coming because uh, you never know. It, it could be that somebody's not liking what you, you put out there. And it, it takes a while to publish a book. Definitely. Well, yes, if you already know that there's one coming in March. That started two years ago. So yeah, so usually typically about a two-year process of when they sell the book to the publisher to when the production actually hits the shelf. So so as I, the Science Buddy series, it's I'm a virus, then I'm a volcano, and then I'm a tornado. So the volcano book that I'm currently working on now, the second in that series, is not going to be out for another year. Right. Um, so that'll come out the spring following year, but I'm working on the art for it now. Sure. So it's just a, it's like a big, long process, all of it. So yeah. how did you get into children's books? 
in the back of my mind, I always wanted to do children's books, but it wasn't a, like, I knew why, or I knew I had like a, a, a strong upbringing with children's books and I, I just like children's books and I like children's entertainment and I liked my, my jobs kind of circled around like children's stuff. So in uh, college, I was a mime and I entertained children at an amusement park. One you may be familiar with, Clementon Lake Amusement Park in Southern New Jersey. Yep. Only local people would know that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unless you're a roller coaster uh, enthusiast and you know that I think it was the Jackrabbit was the roller coaster there. Anyway, so I, I was a mime there and I entertained kids doing, you know, juggling and just slapstick comedy routines. And then I also painted murals for children commercially and doing you know, private residence. I would do their bedrooms and I've done like businesses that are kid focused. Uh, and then I had a comic strip when I was in college and then after college. So all like kid focused things. And I thought in the back of my mind, you know, someday I want to do a picture book or a children's book. I actually probably didn't even call it a picture book. I just said a children's book, not really knowing what that meant. And throughout college and even into professional world of you know, getting my career started, I still had it in the back of my mind, but I didn't know how to get there. So it wasn't until I was 40. It took until I was 40 till and Instagram. Instagram <laughs> led me, led me there. So I was, I was just scrolling through Instagram one day and I came across this post and it led me to this website called SBS Online or something similar to that. SBS, School of Visual Storytelling Online. At the time, it was a site that was run by Jake Parker, the guy that started Inktober. And then uh, his partner, Will Terry, who is a, and they're both picture book author illustrators uh, and graphic novels and all the sort of books for kids. But Will Terry had a longer history, I think, with children's books than Jake. They teamed up. They both lived in the same area, became friends. And I believe, I, I may be making some of that up. I don't know how actually they met, but they started the school and they offered a picture book course. And I was the first time I'd ever seen anything like that. And I said, wow, that idea in the back of my head, this is actual way to get there. So I, you know, started taking the course and I learned so much that led to a couple things. It, it led to some names that I had never heard of before. And one of the names was this woman, Tara Lazar. She is an author that lives in New Jersey, randomly, <laughs> like not far from my house, probably about 40 minutes away. Also, I learned about SCBWI which is the Society for Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. So I looked up that organization. I became a member within like an hour of hearing that. I, I got online and I became a member and I saw that they had a New Jersey chapter and I saw that they had a conference coming up in the summer. I just was amazed at this because I didn't know any of this existed before that post on Instagram. Right. And this was like, all everything was just pointing to do this. You got to be doing this because you've wanted to do this for so long. So you might as well try because you're 40 Like you know, <laughs> at the time. Now I'm 47. So at the time, I was just wowed that this all existed. And I had no idea. It's like somebody gave me like this, you know, turn the magic candle like in the, the uh, castle. And I got this, the secret wall opened up. And all of a sudden I saw this whole world out there. So I went to the conference and I met all these people and I got on the path to publication just by doing that. I, there's a lot more involved, but that's what got me on the path. I, I felt like I finally had a map that said, 
Now you need to get the portfolio together. You got to start working on your stories. This is how you put together a story. This is the whole world of children's literature. But the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators is what really got me like on the path to that. Nice. That's so interesting. So long story short, Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) See, social media is not all evil. Not all evil. (laughs) Yeah. So in all of that stuff that you learned in this whole new world that got opened up, what surprised you the most? Was there anything that stood Mm. out as like, oh, I would not have ever figured that out myself? Oh, yeah. Actually, there's a big one. And a lot of people have an idea in their head that they're going to write a children's book. And they're going to write their children's book and they're going to find an illustrator and they're going to go in on it as a team and then submit it to a publisher or somebody they know that works in publishing because that's their in. And I've heard the story many times. I really thought that. I truly thought that that's how it happens. And if you team up with an illustrator, that's one of the worst things that you can do. Not worst things. It's just, it's, it's, not, a, it's not an ideal thing at all. If you are an author and you have a story idea, the best thing that you can do is a lot of the publishers don't take unsolicited uh, submissions. So you have to go through either a conference or an agent, preferably an agent. They want some sort of representation before you submit a story. They don't want it as a team because the publisher likes to pick the illustrator. It's a business decision for them. Naturally, if you're new and nobody's ever heard of you, they want to team you up with a seasoned illustrator that is already with them. Of course. Because it's a, they want to leverage that known entity that's going to be out there on the bookshelf and they have a name that somebody can tie to. And that makes a lot of sense. I didn't know that. And so that's my big wow. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that either. <laughs> yeah. And I talk to a lot of people. Big thing that people when they hear that I'm doing picture books, they're like, oh, I have a picture book idea. I'm like, that's great. And they said, I, I'm, gonna, I'm looking for an illustrator. Will you illustrate it for me? I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and here's why. And I always sit and explain and tell the whole story of why. And where I do have some books under my belt now, I'm still not well known. So I wouldn't be the best choice for something like this. The, the scenarios that they will team up an author and illustrator from the get-go is if they're both, they have a track record together. That's number one. Obviously, if they're a best-selling team, then they're going to do books, more books together. If they both are represented by the same agent or same agency, they will often pair people together and say, hey, how about these two? Or how about these? I've done that a few times. That's how Cheese and Quackers happened because Sudipta and I are represented by the same agent. We collaborate on ideas and we came up with that idea. She had this idea for a story and then we started going back and forth with characters and came up with a whole, whole thing to work together on. Uh, So we submitted that together and went in as a team. Nice. Yeah. So there are scenarios. In doing stuff as a team, like if she has the story, how much Mm -hmm. input do you get to that as the illustrator? That depends on the relationship with the person you're collaborating with. Ideally, some authors only want to work alone. Some like to collaborate. Some collaborate on the ideas, but then go off and do the writing on their own. And that's kind of what Sudipta and I do, where we'll collaborate on ideas, but then she'll craft the story. And she'll ask thoughts like here and there while she's working. But ultimately, I know that she has the power of the story because she's the author. I'll make suggestions or maybe some funny actions that might happen, but that's all going to be shown in the art. And same thing. She will make suggestions or like we'll go over what's going to happen in a specific scene or 
what the layout of the space is so I can figure out, okay, well, if a character comes from this direction, what do they need to do to get over to there? Do they have to walk across something or around people or, or what, what is the, the layout of the, the scene? And sometimes it's important to the story and sometimes it's not. So sometimes she might just say, that's completely up to you. Or sometimes it might be like, well, no, this is a really important part. We have to make sure that this is in the scene. So it's a character's going to have to get around this. That makes sense. And I mean, in my head now, I'm like flashing through, you know, the last hundred picture books that I've looked at. I'm trying mm-hmm. to, and when we get off this, I'm going to go look for details that I never would have looked for, because why would I? It's, it's interesting to look at picture books. And I am not an authority on this by any means. Being published doesn't make you an authority (laughs) by any means. I just have gone through it a few times, the process. And what I love to look for in picture books is the story told in the illustrations and the dance between the pictures and the words. I look at picture books differently now than I did before. Sure. Having gone through this process, you know, I start to look at flow of composition. I look at the character arc. I never really looked at that before. And this is very, it's very interesting going through this over and over and over again and and learning that every book, even though I've done it, it's like starting all over again because it's each story is unique, just like we're all unique. So every story needs its own set of rules almost. I mean, there are some technical things that you're going to rely on every time, but, and things that you're going to improve upon each time you do this, but each, each one is unique, so it has its own kind of rule set and its own challenges to overcome. Sure, that makes sense. How has your process changed as you do it more and more often? I think I thumbnail a lot more at the beginning, and I'll, I'll just share what thumbnails are for any listeners that don't know what they are. Thumbnail is just a small sketch that you do of, uh, it's very rough, it could be just shapes or just like, you know, basic lines to show movement or composition. So I'll do a a small thumbnail sketch of the page quickly. And it's very scribbly. My, my roughs are very scribbly. When I lay out all my thumbnails, I can follow the small shapes and scribbles and see the flow of the book all at once. So I'll lay out all the thumbnails of 32 pages, which is a typical picture book length and see from a bird's eye view, all the pages at once, rather than one sketch at a time. So thumbnailing all of them on one sheet really helps to see the flow of composition. And now I'm trying to play with that by leading the eye in a kind of a graceful way through the book, starting at the upper left-hand corner and looking at the full page spread with both pages open you start at the upper left-hand corner and you work your way to the bottom right-hand corner of the opposite page, working your way around that page by leading the eye all the way through. And then almost imagining that that line continues onto the next page and leads your eye back in and continues throughout the whole book through shape and color and movement. It's very fun. And I think that's one of the, my favorite parts of this process of like just kind of trying to figure out the flow and hopefully it flows well enough that you can really lead the reader that way, you know, to go through because you want to get them through and then have that exciting page turn for the, the child reading to follow along with to say like, what's going to happen on the other side. And as you turn the page, there's a big surprise <laughs> and that's, what's going to lead us into the next page. 
And then, you know, you may have some dips in your story, but then you have another big surprise and you turn that and it's another big thing happening. So yeah, the whole, the whole process is very fun. And it's, it's great to see from the initial idea when you have something to then actually being able to share that with a room full of children and see their reactions to something that you took so long to work on with a whole army of people, pretty much like the team that works on the book. And then just to see the interaction of, of what it does to, to the child reading it or the group of kids reading it. It's great. It's fantastic. It sounds excellent. So I'm sure because all creative work has dips, that there are dips and you get stuck sometimes. How do you work through those? I have a, a brick that's on my desk. An author friend of mine, Julie Siegel-Walters, gave this to me. It says, just write on it. And it's my writer's block. Nice. So she gave this to me. She sent it to me. I can't can't believe she shipped it. It's like heavy. It's very heavy (laughs) because I was having problems with writing and, and, you know, I couldn't get through this block. And she just sent me this, this block that said, just write. And I think what I'm learning, because there are, I just, I just broke through a block. I'll explain. Actually, I had a, a story I was working on and as creators know, and actually everybody, not just creators, everybody knows this because everybody experiences this. You have a time in a month, in a week, in a year where you just get low and you can't figure out why. It's just, you're just low. It's whatever. And some people experience it more than others. And how do you get through that? For, for what I do, it always comes out in my creativity where I, I just have a block and I can't, I've, I can't understand what's wrong. I can't draw or I can't come up with an idea. And this particular uh, situation recently, I was working on a story idea. Unfortunately, I can't share what that is because it's, you know, that's fine. We still got to send yep. it out. But I was working on a story idea and I just could not write it. And my agent was talking to me about it. And she said, just, you know, just work on this and maybe think about it this way or this way. And I even pitched it to an editor and the editor loved the idea and could not wait to see this. And this is almost a year ago now. And that's a long time to not be sending in something that an editor said they wanted to see because that's, you know, they expect to see something so you can move forward on a project. Well, I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't figure out why I was trying very hard. I just couldn't, I tried many different angles and it just wasn't working. And I realized a couple of weeks ago when I went on a writing retreat with my, the agency I'm part of, we went to highlights foundation retreat. It's in Pennsylvania and they have uh, cabins and a big barn where everybody congregates in. So while we were there, I got to have a one-on-one with my agent and talk about that story. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to tell her I can't do it. So I can at least get it off my plate. Sure. And I talked to her about this. She's like, oh, okay. All right. Well, we'll give it to this author. If, if you want, we can let another author try it because it's a good idea. So uh, she's like, maybe he'll have an idea and like know where to take it. So this was incredible. I sat with him because he was there and I went over the idea and he wrote a plot in 20 minutes. (laughs) So once that block for me was removed, everything else could flow because that was the thing holding me up that I had in my mind that I had to finish because there was interest and it was my assignment. So once that was removed and whatever that is for all of us, once that thing is removed then everything else seems to flow. At least in my case, for this specific purpose, it was a story. Obviously, there could be anything in life that's a problem. And if you 
kind of work through that one problem or try to figure out how to get that problem out (laughs) to allow other things to flow. That really helped me because on the way home, I had a complete plot uh, idea for a graphic novel I had been working on that I knew I had to redo. But I really wanted to work on that graphic novel, but I couldn't until I finished the other thing. Right. And then I had a series of other ideas. I, I think I had like, I think there were seven new ideas that came right after that. It's like it busts down the dam. It did. It did. It just opened up, you know, the channel opened up and like the water just started <laughs> flowing in. <laughs> do you prefer or or do you have a preference between writing and illustrating versus just illustrating? There is something special about being able to craft the story and the illustrations all from my head. But there's also something really great on, you know, there's a different side of my brain that works where I have to solve a problem and seeing somebody else's story in front of me is problem solving of like, how would I do, how can I do that? How I can make this all work. Uh, I'm currently working on, sorry, another idea that I can't share, (laughs) but this is, this is an example of where an author has an idea that we want in the agency, we want to go together on a project. What I'm doing is I'm creating a a dummy. It's called a, a, a picture book dummy. In a, with a picture book dummy, you come up with all the rough sketches for the picture book and you place the text in general layout on all of the pages and you make the digital PDF where you can make a physical copy of it as well. But we're emailing and everything anyway these days. So just make a PDF version of it and it's all roughed out illustrations. And then you submit that together with the text and the drawings. So I'm currently working on illustrations for another author's story. I'm having a blast doing this, but I also really enjoy writing my own books and making those decisions on my own. So it's like a, it's a balance. Sure. Sometimes it's great. And sometimes uh, there are some challenges uh, with certain projects where you can't quite get the right combination to make it work. And maybe if you had a thought of the original story, maybe you could get it easier, but also maybe not. I mean, there's challenges even when you create on your own or things you don't see. So it it is nice collaborating. I will say that with an author. And then if you can have that back and forth to play with different ideas, it is fun. Yeah, definitely. So I, yeah, I'm sorry. That's not really a a direct answer to that, but I I like both. That's an answer. (laughs) I mean, you don't have to pick one. I like both. (laughs) Did or how did pandemic affect all this? My schedule changed quite a bit because we're all obviously we're all working from home. Uh, my wife and I were fortunate to keep our jobs, so you know that was a blessing to you know, to have work. I will say, our kids were in kindergarten. We have twin boys; they're in kindergarten doing virtual learning. Ooh. That shift was hard because I was doing my work in my day job, so I have a corporate job having to balance that, having to balance a corporate job while, while getting kids online virtually while they're in kindergarten is difficult. So I found myself doing work later in the day, which ate into my creative time to do picture books. Right. And plus my mind wasn't in the right frame to, to do, you know, the creative work at the end of the day when I was exhausted from trying to wrangle my kids to get in front of the (laughs) computer to do this. And it's, it's, it's great to see what the kids do in school to experience that firsthand, a literally front row seat (laughs) (laughs) to see what they're doing. It was challenging to say the least. Yes. There's always the, uh, am I, (laughs) is your microphone on? (laughs) on? (laughs) So you can't hear me shouting in the background. (laughs) 
but you know, kindergartners and first graders that age it probably, you know, gets into second grade as well a little bit. Although I think, I don't know, I'm not there yet, but the movement, body movement, it's just constant body movement. It's just that energy, like just keeps flowing and they can't, they don't really stay still and trying to get them to sit in front of a little computer and just introducing the idea of school. Yes. Because their experience was preschool where they could kind of like, you know, roam yes. and like be in their stations and just play. Now it was, they've got to like l- listen and learn and practice letters and learn some basic math skills and counting. And it was tough to do. But by the end of the year, they were in school five days, five full days by the end of the year. It took, it took a while. We were, you know, obviously we had some right. backs and forth, back and forth and everything, but we eventually got there. And I learned that I shouldn't be a actual teacher. (laughs) (laughs) I'm great on school visits, but those are limited to 45 minutes when I'm entertaining children (laughs) that I absolutely adore and I love. And that time is very special. But as far as teaching goes and trying to teach lessons of math and everything, especially to your own kids that that don't necessarily listen to you, (laughs) that was definitely challenging. So I think that ate away at me the most. Uh, feeling the pressure and the guilt of that uh, into my creative time. And I luckily had some projects that were already underway and it wasn't, I wasn't creating new stuff. I was finishing work that had already been started. Right. So I could still fit it in and move forward. But luckily I, I guess I wasn't having to come up with new ideas at the time. So I really wasn't working that part of my brain. Yeah. Even if it didn't work really well, I'm glad that it worked. It worked. We learned a lot. Uh, I think the uh, for a lot of parents, they they saw how wonderful teachers are <laughs> <laughs> and the amazing jobs that they do. I know I did a bunch of school visits virtually last year. And for teacher appreciation, um, I, a few of them were that week. I think I got emotional on all of those <laughs> to, when I was speaking directly to the teachers about how much... Uh, as a parent, having children going through all of that and knowing what they're going through and how difficult their job is. And some of them were teaching virtually at home with their own children and going through the same thing and how difficult that's got to be. So yeah, I am so impressed with teachers of the world, (laughs) for sure. Yes. Well, I've said for a long time that teachers don't get paid enough as it is, but kindergarten teachers definitely don't get paid enough because, oh my goodness, and I can't even imagine attempting kindergarten online. I, yeah. All right. We were hybrid. Well, we were virtual, full virtual, and then we were hybrid and then back to full virtual. Our kids went into kindergarten not knowing the full alphabet, but they ended the year knowing how to read. I mean, not completely, they're still learning to read, but they were reading words in books. And I have to say, that was absolutely amazing. And it just like makes me just, just love the teachers that just like pushed so hard to make it work still and figure out creative ways to like get to the kids. Cause they knew that it's a, it's an important time for them. Right. Developmentally kindergarten is an important time, you know, doing uh, phonemes, mm-hmm. watching, uh, the, you're watching your mouth movement while you're pronouncing pronunciation, having that relationship of visual to the mouth opening. And they were figuring out creative ways to do that while masked or having their visor down or like, however, whatever they needed to do to show kids, like, this is how you pronounce this word. And it's amazing. So back to picture books. Okay. 
Do you have a favorite of the stuff that you've created? Oh, I can't do that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's like trying to pick a favorite child. It's just not possible. That's fair. <laughs> That's not possible. <laughs> they're they're all special for different reasons. Sure. Um, and for, you know, Twins uh, was my first book. My first author illustrated book but it was also my first book. And it's about my kids. So even though there's a boy and a giraffe on the cover and they're the characters in the book, it's still about my kids. Right seeing twins and how they are the same, but different. And just like all of us were, you know, similar, but different in a lot of ways. Right. So that's special for its own reasons. And Beach Choice versus School Supplies, you know, how I came up with that idea and the way that the two different groups wind up having their differences with each other from the get-go, just because of who they are, but then wind up working together. You know, that's, has another set of reasons why I love that book and why I really enjoyed working on it. And then Tremendous was the first book that I ever, I ever worked on with another author. And it's it's a nonfiction book that speaks about nature. And it's, it was so fun to, to work on with a whole different team. So there's just, there's no, no outlier for me of saying that's the one. Sure. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. But I had to ask. Yes. No, I, I <laughs> I'd probably want to know too. <laughs> So in this whole process, the creating, the editing, the publishing, like any piece of it, what's your biggest frustration? Waiting. <laughs> <laughs> because we're all on schedules and we all have our things that we're working on, right? And we send in something to a publisher, to they're the editor that's working on the book and the team has to review it. And your book is not the only book they're working on. So they have so many books and there's so many different stages that a book goes through. So waiting is tough. So the, my way around waiting is having multiple things going on. Sure. So that's, I tried to figure out a way that I could still keep working while I'm doing that thing that I dread. And that's the waiting. So if I only worked on one book and then waited, I'd probably get down in the dumps because it takes a long time to hear back from somebody that's got so many books on their list that they're trying to get out by a certain time. Right. And they have scheduled meetings and they got to meet with different. So whatever book that you're working on is multiplied by X number of times with a team that's working on your book. So that's, that's the frustrating part. And then also when something isn't working in the story, but you don't know how to fix it, nobody can give you the answer. You have to figure it out on your own. And that's a very frustrating part of the whole process because that happens all the time where you're like, ah, I just can't figure it out. Where somebody says one thing, you're like, they blow a hole through your story. Or you're like, why did I see that? <laughs> An early version of Beach Toys versus School Supplies, I originally had it as a hole digging contest, which seems absurd in, in hindsight, because why would they just have a hole digging contest? I mean, it's, it's so obvious they would have a sandcastle building contest, but I didn't <laughs> see that at all. I didn't see that at all. I was too close to it. And I was trying to really think of something that wasn't typical. So I was like, oh, it's going to be a hole digging contest because nobody would expect Ruler to be able to dig a hole, but Ruler is going to dig a hole that Shovel can't get out of. And then my agent's son looked at it and he's like, what do you mean? He's a shovel. You just dig stairs. And I'm like, ah, (laughs) (laughs) how could you figure that out so quickly? I, I love how Frankie was about it too. He was just like, what do you mean? That's silly. That's so silly. Like obvious that the shovel's going to get out, you know, he's just big his own stairs and, you know. Kids are good like that. 
they're great like that. And actually it was my agent's daughter who we were like back and forth coming up with different ideas of what they were going to be building as the sandcastle for the contest. Taj Mahal, the Great Pyramids. We're trying to come up with all these like grandiose like things that they were going to build. And she says, why don't you just make it a school? (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny that when readers see these books on the shelf, it's just a finished thing. It's all done. It's wrapped up and it's all complete in a nice little package. But there's so many problems that happen along the way to get that book there. And part of that is the development of the book. Sure. I love that there are so many ways to solve a problem, but the, the, the problem solving that goes into the actual book, it's like, that's your book. Those are the stories that go to your book. Kind of like when you get married, no matter what happens on your wedding day, whether it's all perfect or not, whatever happens, that's your wedding day. Right. You know, whatever happens with your book, you're the path that your book goes. That is your book's path. So all of these things are just memorable stories that I tied to the book. And I just love them so much because of that. You know, I have all those like little journal quality, like little memories that go along with the creation of a book. And I, I just think it's fantastic. And so many people have worked together to bring that book to life. Yeah. That's so cool. Do you write them down? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, because they definitely part of the talks for each book that I've done. The, there are stories that get to be told over and over again and shared. Uh, and I actually worked that whole thing into a live performance I did over the summer. I did a, a performance at the Count Basie Theater in Red Bank, New Jersey, that was about the creation of Beach Toys versus School Supplies. And I included in that, what will the castle be? Will it be the Taj Mahal? You know, will it be this? Will it be that? And then the kids helped me get to the school. They helped me arrive at the idea of the school. And afterward, I, I share with them the story of the girl that came up with the idea for the school. And they are like, wow, a kid can come up with ideas to be in a book? I'm like, yes, absolutely. She was eight years old and she came up with the idea. And it was definitely worthy of being in a book. It was fantastic. <laughs> yes. And she probably had a look on her face when she said it like, what are you, stupid? Yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. I, I guarantee you that's what she looked like. <laughs> <laughs> Like, why do I have to do all the work for you? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It's so true. (laughs) So what you just said might have answered this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, just in case it didn't. That as people are looking at your book on the shelf, what do you wish that they knew or understood about the path that it took to get there? That it's a team. It's not just one person or two people that names are on the cover that it is a long process where, yes, there's an author and an illustrator. There's also the editor, the assistant editor, the associate, you know, all the different people on the team of writing, the copy editors, the marketing teams, the PR teams, the the art directors, the designers, like everybody, there are so many people. There's the school library marketing. There's like, there are so many people in publishing that help bring this book to life. But, But even before you get to that, you have the agent. (laughs) <laughs> like works with the the author or the illustrator or both on the project prior to that. And then even before that, a lot of times an author or an illustrator, they have a critique group of just their peers where they bring this to the table to them and they like work through those ideas together to finish it up and polish it before they bring it to the agent that then brings it to the editor and then hopes <laughs> to sell it. It is just an army of people 
And they say, you know, they, they, everybody says it takes a village to raise a child. They say it takes a village to make a book. <laughs> and it does. <laughs> it does. So I wish that people, when they see that book on the shelf, they could get a representation of all the people involved in making that book. And for a lot of those books that are nonfiction, the history that goes into the book, if it's a biography book or if it's like a, a, a book about, well, a historical book or, or a book about a biography, all the people whose stories led to that book, you know, yes. I, it's, yes. it's, there's so much that, that might be a little bit more obvious because usually that's in the book, but just to take a step back and really think about everything that goes into those books and why that book is there or why the author decided to bring that book there because of that, that history. And then all the people that saw the same thing, that team of people that got behind that book and like championed it during their sales and marketing meeting to say, we need to publish this book. <laughs> Right. And then acquisition said, yes, we do need to publish that book. Is there anything that we missed that you're like, I wanted to talk about this and we haven't? I would love to talk about Draw with Mr. Mike. Oh, yeah, do it. I would love to. So I have a I, I started doing my my school visits, a lesson for kids of taking basic lines and shapes and creating complex objects with them. So I'll take a circle or a triangle or an arc or a line, and then show the children how to build an object like a rocket ship or a tree or an acorn with these different shapes. And I really enjoyed doing it. And then I had an idea of trying to turn it into an actual program through a streaming service or through, I, originally I was going to do it live all the time, but then I realized that just production-wise that wasn't going to work. So I, I record the 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 episodes and I have it on my website as well as on YouTube, youtube.com slash draw with Mr. Mike, or on my website, it's drawwithmrmike.com. And they are short episodes, though the newer episodes this season are even shorter. They're five to 10 minutes. The first season, they were a little bit longer because I just was a little bit longer form. And I'm seeing that the shorter episodes are more effective. The kids like them more, or they're getting more viewership, I'm noticing. So they're just short episodes that can teach how to draw something as simple as an apple or an excavator or a tree with these basic lines and shapes. And it focuses on the age group three to eight. So starting at age three and four, around there, kids are starting to put these objects together and drawing. They're very interested in drawing at this age of making scribbles, making their marks, because they have control over these art materials that they're putting on paper and they're making something. So when they start learning that they can draw a shape and then they can turn that shape into something else, I think that's a great time to show them with these basic lines and shapes that they can build their own drawings and make them into really special things and then eventually develop them into scenes. I started doing the show and I, I really enjoyed doing it, doing the show in front of kids. So when I do a school visit, I read one of my books and then I also do walk through two drawings just seeing what the kids can accomplish by following along, even virtual. They show the drawings at the end of the visit and I can see what they're doing. I've had some kids say, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to draw that rocket ship. And at the end of the episode, they're like, showing me the rocket ship and it looks just like mine. You know, I'm like, what, what are you saying that you can't do that? Yes, you can. And that's what the show is all about. This whole lesson plan is about building confidence in kids that think that they can't do something to show that they actually can. They just need to take their time and build it slowly. And I think that it applies to so many of us 
where it's like you try to attack a problem, but you're looking at the whole problem all at once. If you break that problem down into small little pieces, it's so much easier to tackle when we break it down into smaller things. I say that in some of the episodes, there's a spider episode and I'm like, wow, this looks really complex. I don't know if we're going to be able to do this. Of course, we're going to be able to do this. We're going to take this shape and we're going to break it down into small basic lines and shapes. And then we're going to take it one step at a time and we're going to build it together. And at the end of the episode, they have a spider. I just love the opportunity to be able to share that with kids. That's my, something I knew. I've been working on this for the last two years, but I'm really starting to push it now that I'm updating new episodes every other day. So I'll record a bunch of episodes. Typically I would record them like at the end of the week and have them all ready to go. And I edit them throughout the week. And then I'll publish them and, and post them like every other day. So I'm, I'm trying to pick thematic drawing lessons sure. and like then make playlists and reach out to educators. They're, they're great brain breaks. They're short enough as a great brain break for first graders, for kindergartners, second graders to show in school on their smart board or whatever pr- projection technology they may have. Or even if they have, if they, they're fortunate enough, they have a laptop that they can show something like that on, they can watch on YouTube. Some schools are doing that, some schools are not. Uh, you could also go to my website and see the videos there, but it's, it's just a great opportunity to connect with kids, to show them a little fun with drawing and to give them some control and confidence in building these drawings. That's amazing. <laughs> hey, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I have two completely separate thoughts, but about that same thing. Um, one is that I've watched a lot of those videos and okay, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and what I love about them, besides that they're very simple and step by step, which I would expect from any art video targeted to three to eight year olds, right? So that was like, this is good, but that's expected. But you're so gentle and so just like they're just pleasant to watch, even if you're not drawing, they're just pleasant to watch. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you so much for saying that. I, I worry about that. Is it, am I speaking to the right, on the right level to the audience? And that's something that I am constantly concerned about. Just every step of the way, I, I'm trying to improve it. So where it might look a certain way today, I'm always trying to improve the technology I'm using to create them, to improve the quality of the image and the audio, and just to make sure that I'm speaking to the children that are drawing with me. Right. And then hopefully I get the opportunity to meet some of those kids in the future and draw with them in person. So that's, that's a goal. <laughs> that's definitely a goal. <laughs> My yeah. other thought was that it's targeted to children, but most adults I know will say, I can't draw. Oh, I have an episode about that. <laughs> oh, I have an episode. I haven't seen about that one. That. So I have a, if anybody listening, I have a stick figure episode and I made that episode for all of the adults that say, I can't even draw a stick figure. <laughs> I've heard it so many times. If you draw, somebody has come up to you and say, I can't even draw a straight line or a stick figure. Those are the two things that I hear the most. And I think that's tough for kids to hear because if kids see their drawing and then they see the adults and they compare their drawing to the adults and say, well, mine looks like theirs. And they said they can't draw. That must mean that I can't draw. Oh. That's that's a problem for a kid. Yes. Because they hear the adult say that. And the adult is just thinking that they they just somewhere along the path, just they, they can't draw. And the kid sees their drawing in the adult's drawing. And now they think that they can't draw either. So what I try to empower the children to say, I 
want some help from you kids. Now we're going to learn how to draw a stick figure. And anytime you hear an adult say, (laughs) I can't even draw a stick figure, I want you to teach them to draw a stick figure and show them this lesson. So then you can say, well, I can show you how to draw a stick figure. And it's just as simple as, and I show them, take them to the steps of a line and a circle and an arc. And then we just put those shapes together. And then we, I show them variations with emotion. I show them four different types of emotion. And then we actually go through a whole series of a, a little playful thing where uh, a stick figure is chasing a slice of pizza. <laughs> and I just show them different positions that they can put the stick figure in and how they can use the same lines and shapes to create different positions. Yes, I'm so happy you asked that and you pointed that out about, you know, that adults say they can't draw, but they can. They really can. That's phenomenal. And I had never considered that entry point to I can't draw as a kid. Like there's a lot of different things that I thought of, but that's not one of them. I've heard other illustrators talk about that too. And I don't know if you're familiar with the author, author illustrator, Jarrett Lerner. Mm-hmm. He does a series, um, he, do, he has a bunch of books out, but Hunger Heroes is his newest one. Giger the Robot also is another one of his. I don't, I don't know if it's Giger the Robot is this title, but if you, I'm sure if you search Jarrett Learner, you'll see all his wonderful books. I'm a big fan of, he's got some fantastic t-shirts and he's a big advocate for uh, literacy and also for first book campaigns for, to help first book. He speaks about that a lot, talking about like how kids identify, the, they see a drawing and they see uh, an adult say, well, you know, that's, that's no good. They see themselves drawing something that's no good. And then they, they see that drawing and identify with it. That must mean that I'm not good. So I see it. I've seen it my whole life to other, you know, authors and illustrators are seeing it as well. It's, it's an opportunity for, you know, adults to say, well, why don't you show me how to draw it and then follow along what the children tell you to do, you know, and like, we'll do it together. My kids and I, we love drawing. We draw together a lot. And we draw all sorts of stuff. And I'm amazed to see what creative minds they have and what they can come up with and what choices they make and just celebrating those choices that they make and be like, yes, yeah, I can totally see an ice cream cone flying that, that airplane. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a great, that's a great decision. (laughs) It's, it's an opportunity for, for all of us to embrace like what the kids do and to uh, give them a little confidence so they can continue to draw. Definitely. Because drawing is good, whether you do it for a living or not. Yeah, it's uh, one of, I want to say, an elementary school teacher used to let us doodle in class and always told the class that I don't mind if you doodle, because if you doodle, that means you're listening. Listening skills are great when you doodle. And I was like, oh, that's great. <laughs> I love doodling. I'll doodle all the time. <laughs> and I do that during even during my, my work meetings. I'll be doodling all the time, coming up with different ideas, but I'm always listening. Excellent. So tell the listeners where they can find everything. Like I know you just mentioned websites again. Well, actually, if you go to drawwithmrmike.com, you can find information on me. You can find information about school visits. You can find information about my, my show or, you know, the, the Draw With Mr. Mike stuff. And also all of my books are all on, all on the website. Perfect. So drawwithmrmike.com. Yep. Excellent. Drawwithmrmike.com. And Thank I will so put much. that in the show notes. So if you go to ordinarychaospodcast.com, go to Mike's episode. You can just click right on that. Thank you so much for having me today. It was so much fun. (laughs) Yeah, I really appreciate it. 
editor is Heat G-Check, co-editor Rocket Kid, produced by Heat G-Check. To learn more about me, Heat, or more about this podcast, go to OrdinaryChaosPodcast.com. Sound design and recording by Keith Kelly. You can learn more about Keith and his work at www.keithbkelly.com. Covering Storm by Rocket Kid and Cat Girl. Ordinary Chaos is an ad-free podcast. Because ads are annoying. To support the podcast, go to OrdinaryChaosPodcast.com. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening! listening. <laughs> <laughs> Rocket Kid, signing off. Because all creative work has dips, that there are dips and you get stuck sometimes. How do you work through those? Or do you not have them? Okay. Oh, I have plenty of them. Because at first your face was like, I don't know. No, no. I looked. I looked. (laughs) So I don't know. Is it phenomes or phonemes? I'm going to have to look that up. I don't know. I would probably say phonics, but that would probably also be incorrect. Maybe you should just edit all that and just say phonics. (laughs) 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 I'm going to, because Phonemes is something that comes up in animation, and I'm looking that up now. Okay. Um, phonemes. Ah, any of the perceptually distinct units of sound in a specified language that distinguish one word from another. Ha-ha. Does mean something, but I don't know if I used it correctly. <laughs> <laughs> and this is where I remind people that I draw pictures. For- <laughs> <laughs>